I just want to encourage you, we are in January changing uh, our Sunday night gathering to 5.30 p.m., and we're going to start going deeper into the Word. Uh, we, we saw as elders during our retreat this last year a greater need to really just emphasize a time where we can uh, set apart and go deeper. And we're starting in January a six-week block on apologetics, and the bulk of that teaching will be done by one of our other elders, Brad Beers, who's here this morning, who's a phenomenal teacher. He's very gifted. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper and learn on how to defend your faith and know why you believe what you believe, uh, Sunday night, 5.30, starting in January, I want to encourage you uh, to come. And then, how many of you uh, this morning had the opportunity to go to Night of Bethlehem this uh yeah, awesome. Did you guys have fun? Good. Um, I actually got a text message from another pastor in town who's got a few young children, and he said, Pastor Jesse, thank you so much for putting this event on, and he said, my kids can't stop talking about it, and he sent me a video of his kid in the car talking about putting together the ornaments and, and all of that, and I, I wrote him back and said, just, I want you to know something. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, we just had a tremendous volunteer group, and so I just want to thank you for those of you who volunteered, uh, that your efforts were appreciated. The kids loved it. Parents loved it. My kids were here on, uh, on Thursday night putting together all the stuff and, and running around with their little sheep ornaments and, and all of that, and it was just a great night. And so thank you for, for doing that. And uh, if you didn't go this year, you can come next year. So love to have you. Uh, and then uh, as a point of prayer... Uh, some of you may know uh, um, Joe and Amy Kraft. Joe and Amy Kraft moved from San Diego not that long ago, and they have just already just pulled up their sleeves and pushed away at serving. They're running our coffee shop, and they help with so mu- many other things. Amy Kraft, actually, she's uh, licensed as a counselor, and she's been doing some counseling for us, which we've deeply appreciated. And um, they've, they're a couple that I've known for a long time, uh, goes back all the way to my San Diego days in the early 2000s. And now they're here, and I'm just super blessed they're here, like super pumped. And I got, they went down to San Diego um, to visit family. And while they were down there, um, they got news that in San Diego, Joe's older sister and her fiancé uh, were shot and murdered in San Diego County. And I had asked them if I could share with the congregation, with their church family, um, if, if I could share that as a point of prayer for us this morning. And, and he said, yeah, please do. And so I just want to pray for them, keep them in our prayers. Uh, they mean a tremendous amount uh, to me and to this church in ways that many of you probably don't even realize. Maybe even some of you who have been here for a while, you may not even be totally aware at how much they've really been doing for our church behind the scenes to just enrich and enliven us as a congregation. And so I want to pray for them this morning before we read scripture. Let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> We ask for the word to be clear this morning, but we also ask for you to be with Joe and Amy and Joe's family. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would go forth and comfort those who are hurting. Uh, Lord, that you would allow your presence to be with them, and that somehow in something as painful as this, that you would be glorified and others would come to know you. We thank you that they are not alone in their struggle and in their uh, loss, that you're present. And we pray for those of us here that we would encourage and pray for them continually and that we'd hear from you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we're in a series of Advent, which Advent is basically, it's been designed um, to lengthen the celebration for Christmas. And to some degree, we, um, we might think that we've you know, gone overboard with when we start celebrating Christmas. It, you know, it, it kicks off usually sometime in November. 
And at the pace we're going, eventually we'll just start, we'll just celebrate Christmas all year round. And uh, it's, it's a season, though, that has been designed for us to, uh, as a church, to, to just really anticipate the coming of Jesus. It, it actually is twofold. Part of it is that we would look back and kind of celebrate with the shepherds and the wise men the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, that in a way we put ourselves in history past and what it would have been like to not have heard from God for several hundred years and then all of a sudden for God to reintroduce himself to humanity in the form of a baby. And, and, and the second part of that, though, is to understand that though Jesus has already come and he has completed the work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that we are anticipating another return of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is coming again. So Christmas is a celebration where we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is going to come again. Uh, the great Puritans had a way of saying it this way, the incarnation of the Son of God for us and for our salvation is too big a thing to appreciate in just one day. Indeed, it's something the Christian will celebrate for all eternity. Uh, and so we take a time as a church every year, we take four weeks to just dive in and celebrate Christmas and talk about the birth of Jesus and all that entails in it and that we would be excited about Christmas. It's like um, during the season as we're decorating the, the tree, we take these moments to, to do the things that we do with our children and show them this is why we're doing what we're doing. So for instance, we, we put up the tree and then we put lights on the tree and we share with the kids that, that Jesus died on a tree, that he was the light of the world. And so we hang lights on the tree to, to just remember that Jesus, who was the light of the world, died on the cross for our sins. And we take these little moments to teach our kids who Jesus is. And, and so we want to do the same together as a church. Uh, and for those of you who are with us every week, you know we have a tradition to honor the word of the Lord, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And so I want to encourage you to stand with me one more time, just to make sure you don't fall asleep and, and uh, you, you get a little energy. You might want to bob back and forth a little bit while I'm reading to make sure that you, you don't fall asleep. Someone encouraged me before I came up to not screw this message up, and so um, we're, uh, we want to we pray for that at this time too. Maybe you could pray for me. Uh, those encouraging moments are really exciting to have as a pastor. Uh, verse 8, and, this, and in the same region, Luke 2, verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning... Um, you can see the, the Advent slide behind me and, and the sign here, and it says, Hope, Peace, Love, Joy. And so last week uh, was hope. This week is peace. And so I get to preach on peace. Anybody need more peace in this season at all? Anybody looking for some peace of mind, peace of heart, a little bit of tranquility? Um, the definition of peace, uh, partly from the Old Testament, uh, is completeness, soundness, well-being. One of the parts of the definition of peace from the Old Testament is actually absence from war. Let's take note of that for a moment. Uh, just take note of that. 
and freedom from disturbance, presence of joy filled with tranquility, peace. Uh, It's a season where, for the most part, I think it creates anxiety, it creates hardship, and so we're going to preach about peace this morning. But before I do, I think it's important for us to understand the backdrop of what's happening here. So we understand that this is an actual historical event. If you take note in the verses we've just read, we see that, that this event, the birth of Jesus, actually happened on a real day. And we're told in Scripture in places like Acts that this day was planned before all eternity, before the creation of the world, that, that the birth of Jesus Christ was not, not a bailout plan for humanity, but it was something that God had intended to do from the beginning. As one pastor says, for this day of his appearing, when the fullness had time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It happened on a day, the perfect day, in the fullness of time, the perfect time, appointed by God before the foundation of the world. It's it's a day that God had planned and intended. In addition to that, we're told that it happened in an actual city, the city of Bethlehem, which is uh, known as the city of bread. And Jesus is called the bread of life. And so it's appropriate, therefore, that he is born within this city. The city of David, as it is also called. One commentator says, note that it happened in an actual city. It happened in the city of David, not Narnia, not Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away, though I know some of you are anticipating that movie coming out again this December. I know people who've already purchased their tickets. I'm not one of them. The city's name is Bethlehem. It tells us in Luke 2.4, Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem is the city where Jesse lived, who was the father of David. That's not me, by the way. The great king of Israel, Bethlehem, the city that Micah prophesied over. It was an actual city on an actual day. And then we're told a few things about Jesus, that he is the savior of the world. He is Christ and he is the Lord. This is to say that as savior, he came to save those who needed saving. In addition to that, this idea of Christ to show his anointing. In the Bible, the Jews would anoint their kings, their prophets, and their priests. In a sense, what they're saying is Jesus is is born Christ, as he's the great final anointed king, the great final anointed prophet, and the great final anointed priest. That he literally is the fulfiller of all of God's promises. And we're told he is the Lord, the sovereign one, the mighty one. God, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe. And we're told that this baby is given, and, and, and before uh, this announcement, this, this day, this child is given, before this announcement, there's this, this declaration by the angel, glory to God on the highest, and peace towards those whom he is well pleased. I think it's interesting to sing about and to preach and to think about peace because I think to some degree or another, we all desire peace. We, when we think of that word peace, we maybe don't know how to flesh it out, but, but we all say we want more peace. But in order for us to understand peace, I think we have to understand what the Bible is saying in regards to what peace is not, what peace isn't. You see, when we talk about a, a lot of these kind of things about the peace of God or, or maybe even the forgiveness of God, what we're talking about is, is a doctrinal thing that, that is usually said this way. Uh, that there are certain things that we have already, we possess them right now, but, but not yet. The already and the not yet. It's a tension that we have as Christians. So, so as an example, you are already forgiven for your sins, but anyone in the room still struggle with sin? This isn't a test. Everyone raise your hand. 
Okay, we still struggle with sin. So that's the not yet part. We know in fulfillment that when Jesus came, he provided complete forgiveness. But we know until we go to heaven, we won't, we won't fully experience what it's like to not struggle with sin. That's the already and the not yet. And peace is part of that. There's this declaration, peace on earth towards those whom he is well pleased. What this means is that there's a peace that we can experience now. There's a tranquility that we can have now. But, but we have to also understand as we go through this teaching at Christmas time that, that not, not completely, not, not totally, not, not yet. And so biblically, we see a couple things that peace is not right now, not yet. Peace right now is not political or international. It's not international peace. It's not political peace. Right? That's something that I think uh, we're, we're, we're struggling through as a nation right now, that we want to have peace amongst our own nation, let alone other nations. We are said to be a, a nation divided. And the Bible actually says that political peace and international peace is not something that Jesus has come to necessarily give right now. Not quite yet. In fact, it's said this way, Luke 21, 9. You can turn there if you want, since you're already in Luke. Luke 21, 9. And when you hear of wars, tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines, pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. We're told by Jesus that, that, that actually that we're not going to quite have this political or international peace quite yet. And in fact, one of the reasons that the Jewish people couldn't accept who Jesus was, was not only in part because he was born in the little town of Bethlehem, but it was because he didn't come with enough political gusto. The Jews believed that, that, that the Messiah would come, and the Messiah would come with a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand, and what he would do is he would free his people from, from the oppression of the Roman rule, and that they would finally have a nation of their own. They, they kind of figured the Messiah was going to come with, with war to finally bring peace. Now, I think likewise, we sometimes as Christians get wrapped up in the same trap. We think that, that Jesus, what he wants to do is Jesus wants to free us from government oppression and free us from the kind of political nonsense that we're experiencing today. But not yet. And there's reason for that. We'll get to it in a moment. Peace is not circumstantial. Luke 21, 12. But before all this, Jesus prophesying to his disciples, they will lay hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. He's saying, in, in effect, because of your faith, you'll, you, you may actually experience less of a certain kind of peace. Peace does not mean that you'll get along with everybody. We don't experience that in church at all, do we? It doesn't mean that you're going to get along with everybody. It's not free from the absence of conflict or, or maybe even animosity. People will not always like you in the world because you're a Christian, and some Christians won't like you because you're maybe a Christian. <laughs> Jesus says it this way if you turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 51. He says something very interesting in light of what we just read in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? It's a question. He says, no, I tell you, but rather division. Now we've got something to work with. We have some tension. We've got to find out how to deal with this. From now on, in verse 52, he says, uh, in one house there will be five divided, 
three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, I know we could probably understand verse 3, 53. That maybe makes a little sense, right? The whole little peace amongst in-laws thing. I'm sure nobody has any problems with in-laws in their marriages. But the rest of it, we go, wait a minute, what is he saying? He's saying, and the fact that, that your faith may actually cause a kind of division with people. First, there may be those in the world who, who, who don't like you, don't understand you, don't want to know about forgiveness, don't want to hear the name of Jesus. But at times, you can see people in your own family, when you actually put your faith in Christ, your own family may say, you're ridiculous, you're crazy, why do you believe that nonsense? I've seen it over the years where, where one family might be a, a Christian family, and as soon as, as, soon as a, a family, this has really happened before, I've seen it happen, where the family's coming to church, and, and they're learning about Jesus, and their kids are learning about Jesus, and all of a sudden their kids start getting into college, and, and their kids go, I'm going to go be a missionary. And then mom and dad go, what? Why would you ever do that? <laughs> well, we have been going to church for the last 18 years. I figured I might do what the pastor was telling us to do. <laughs> happens. But sometimes it's a radical thing because in our minds we, we, want, we, want our, we want to still fit in the culture but, but, but not, not necessarily be against the culture. And there's this tension of acceptance that we feel. And yet the Bible says that you're not going to get along with everybody. Even, even possibly people in your own family will not fully understand what you do or why you do it. And lastly, as Paul says, he knows what it is to be with and without. Peace is not having financial gain or material gain. It's not found by having so much money in your bank account or what kind of car you have or the house that you possess or, or even based on, on where you live in regards to circumstantial, whether you live in Northern California or whether you live in Southern California. Your peace is never attached to anything other than hopefully what you, where you understand where we're going, but to Christ, to Jesus. Which leads us to the points of what peace is. When the Bible is saying in verse 14 that there, that there is a peace, if, if, it's not, if it's not a governmental peace, if it's not a circumstantial peace, if it's, if it's not a friendship kind of peace, if those things are impossible, then, then what is peace? What is this peace that, that these angels are declaring, that they're, that they're screaming out loud and saying, hey, glory to God in the highest, peace towards those whom... What, what, what is he talking about? And I think it's these things. The first step towards actual tranquility within oneself is peace is knowing the forgiveness of sin. It's knowing that you have been forgiven for your transgressions. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 says, in regards to to the prophecy of John the Baptist coming, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give, listen what it says here, now in Luke here. Luke chapter 1, verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from high, to give light to all those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. See, the first step to really knowing peace and having tranquility is knowing that Jesus Christ has washed away your sins. All of your sins. Every wrong thing you've done, Jesus has atoned for it. 
You see, when we celebrate Christmas, we're, we're understanding that, that Jesus has come and, and he has been born. And what's interesting about this is the message first comes in Luke chapter 2 to the shepherds, right? The shepherds in this passage, just so you're aware, they're the Levitical shepherds. And the Levitical shepherds' job, what their whole job was, was to raise up sheep that they would then be prepared for sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the people in the temple. And what's even more interesting is during the wintertime when a sheep was born around uh, uh, to, to just kind of echo what's happening with Jesus where he's being born is that they would take their sheep and they would allow the sheep to give birth within a cave. And then once that little lamb was born, do you know what they did with the little lamb? They would cover it with swaddling cloths. And the purpose was when they were born within that cave was in order for a lamb to be sacrificed, it had to be what? Perfect. With no spot. No blemish. So as soon as that little lamb was born, they'd wrap it up to make sure that it was perfect and ready to be sacrificed. And when we look at Jesus, he's being wrapped in swaddling cloths to echo for us that, that he's the perfect sacrifice. He's, he's the perfect atonement. He is the only one without sin. See, at Easter, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus defeats death by, by raising from the dead. Amen? But what we see here is we see that Jesus, before he died, lived for 33 years. And sometimes we forget the fact, like, why did he live for 33 years? Why was it that he journeyed from baby to the age of 30 when he started his ministry to the age of 33 when he died? And the reality of that is this. It's because Jesus had to live the perfect life. He had to go all 33 years and never screw up. And he did. Do you know why, though? So that he could impute his perfect life to you. When we talk about justification, that you were justified by faith, we're talking about two actual things. One of those things is, it is just, I'm sure you've heard this, justified, just as if, you have never sinned. And we praise God for that. Somehow within God's work, his perfect work, he sees us as if we've never sinned. But the other part of that is just as if you had done all the right things. See, to get to heaven, to be in the presence of God, you have to be perfect. No blemish, no spot, you have to be perfect. Which means you can't just get by with not screwing up. Right? You can't go to heaven and say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. And Jesus is going to look at you and say, so what, you sat on a couch, you didn't think, you didn't move. That's not sufficient. In order to get to heaven, not only can you have to not do anything wrong, you have to have done everything right. As it's been said before, you do get to heaven through good works, but not yours. You get to heaven through the good works of Jesus. And what Jesus does through his good works, he lived 33 years, and then he says about those 33 years, on what's called the great exchange on the cross, he transfers all your screw-ups to himself and he transfers all his good works to you. Just as if you had helped the poor. Just as if you had healed the lame. Just as if you had done everything that Jesus had done. It's imputed to you. Isn't that good news? This is, this is what it means to say, say okay, peace is knowing I, I, I'm forgiven. But the other part of that is knowing that not only are you forgiven, when we talk about grace, grace is forgiveness, but grace is also favor. God favors you. 
The New King James Version, in regards to Luke 2.14, says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I think it's better read from the NIV. The NIV translates the same passage in Luke 2.14 this way, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, Jesus has seen fit to rest his favor upon you. He favors you. This is peace. I made a joke in the first service. I don't know how to deliver it in the second service because of the reaction I got in the first service. <laughs> but um, I shared in regards to, to this idea of grace and, and how, how grace is really what makes my marriage work. You can pray for my wife and our kids. The black plague is slowly moving through our home at this current time. So, like dominoes, everybody's getting sick. And she got it yesterday, and, and she had to go to urgent care, and, you know, she's, she's not too, doing too well, so pray for her. And, and um, I always know when my wife is kind of a little upset with me because she goes to the reading room that we have to pray. And, and uh, every now and then I'll, I'll do, this is the, the, the part where I didn't get the reaction I expected in the first service, um, where I'll read her journal during her prayer time. So this similar, similar reaction in the first service. And um, we're married, let's be clear. What's hers is mine, what's mine is hers. <laughs> okay, that was the worst reaction in the first service. Let me share with you, though. Please don't tell her. Um, I think she knows I do it, actually. But I always, And here's why I say this. When we talk about grace and our marriage working, because in... What she typically writes within that journal when she's struggling within our marriage is something along the lines of this. Jesus, give me the eyes towards my husband that you have towards my husband. She asks Jesus to see me the way that Jesus sees me. And, and it's, it's that kind of grace that allows a marriage to work, allows friendships to work, allows family to work. And it's only possible by seeing the favor and the grace that Jesus has given you. When we talk about that idea of Jesus imputing his righteousness to you, it's the work that Jesus does to make you a child of God. You actually become a blood relative a true son, a true child of Christ. Peace is knowing, number three, you have peace between God and you right now. See, when the angels come and declare peace, they're actually saying that this peace is knowing you're forgiven, knowing that you were favored, and knowing that you are no longer at war or enmity with God. I find it sad that in too many of our churches across America that there is not enough preaching of the reality of who you are without Christ and who you are with Christ. See, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, says this, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. 
Verse 21 of Colossians 1 is where it gets hard to, to put in your mouth a little bit and to, to swallow. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Do you know what the passage in essence is saying? Before you became a Christian, right? What is peace? To be without war. But it says, before Christ, you were hostile in mind. You were at war with God. You were fighting with him. You see, I, I have enough of, of my life lived without Christ where I, I know exactly what this verse is saying. I know exactly how it feels. Right, where you're fighting for peace in all kinds of ways. We want peace. We want it. And what society says is, you know what? If you want peace, just distract the heck out of yourself. Play an app on your phone. Drink more. Pop another pill. Just distract yourself. Binge watch. Just watch a TV, bunch of TV shows. And what we're doing is we're trying, we're trying to make peace. We're trying to get peace. We're trying to forget. I'm at war with myself. I'm at war with God. And unless Jesus intervenes in our lives and we see that we need Christ and the work of Christ, which is based on faith, to reconcile us back to God, we will never find complete peace. See, the reality of where we're at today is we'll always have wars. We won't always get along with each other. We may even fight with ourselves, but we will never, when we're in a relationship with Christ, ever fight God again. I heard one pastor say, when you pray, if you don't see God smiling at you, you're praying to the wrong God. We have peace with our maker now. We are no longer, as the Bible says, children of wrath. We're now children of peace. See, it says, actually, what happens when we are reconciled to God, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. We become, literally, peacemakers. Our ministry and our job is to find all kinds of different ways to bring people into the family of God that they'll finally know his peace. There's a great uh, hymn says, Hark the, Air, Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Charles Wesley. The very first line in that hymn says, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I have another part of this quote that says, The most basic need we have is peace with God. This is foundational to all our pursuits of peace. If we don't go here first, all other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. See, we don't want temporary peace. We want the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that comes by knowing that we have peace with God here and right now. Or as Charles Spurgeon says, can't go without quoting Spurgeon, the legacy then of Christ is a twofold peace. A peace of friendship, of agreement, of love, of everlasting union between the elect and God. It is, the ne it is next a peace at sweet enjoyment of quiet rest, of the understanding and the conscience. When there are no winds above, there will be no tempest below. When heaven is serene, earth is quiet. Conscience reflects the complacency of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom also we have received the atonement. 
that our greatest need, the, the, the greatest thing that we, we need to possess as Christians is to remember and reflect that Jesus has washed us clean and now favors us. I took a couple of my kids down to Reno yesterday with my sister so I could leave my wife alone. Uh, it's kind of a, um, you know, an incubation kind of thing. You know, we'll leave her home at sick and we'll, we'll try to stay out of, out of the sick room, yeah. And, uh, and so I took my kids down to Reno. We did, we did all the things that are free in Reno. So we went to Cabela's. Uh, to my kids, that's the zoo. And, um, you know, they're running around, and the things they say, I mean, you can always, you know, because my, my kids are super cute. So people who are around, they're, they're smiling at them, and they're listening to the off-the-wall things, you know, they're saying, and um, just tons of fun. So outside of Cabela's, then we went to Costco, because hey, go to the zoo, and then <laughs> you get free food. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I just, I take those moments, and, and I realize the favor that God has given me to have those children, the favor to be with them and, and to hang out with them. And we need to remember the blessings we have. The Bible says that every good gift comes from the Father of lights above. Everything that you have that is good in your life is because Jesus favors you. And if it's not good, he's allowed it for your good, even if you don't understand it. And I know that's hard to, to take sometimes. But there is a reality to it. This life is hard. Which leads me to, to the question, how, how do you acquire this kind of peace? And the first step, I think, is to, you, have to just, you have to admit you're at war. You have to finally say, the already not yet exists. My flesh is going to war against the spirit. Satan is going to try to steal my peace, especially at Christmas time, which should be the time that we should be the happiest. On the drive into work this morning, I was listening to a, uh, I listened to a radio station that on Sundays they they uh, talk about all kinds of weird scientific stuff. And in this particular episode, they were talking about SAD, seasonal affective disorder, which is the study that basically there is a legitimate depression that occurs amongst people during wintertime because they're not getting as much sun. You don't get as much sun. You get less serotonin. And, and they're talking about, you know, all the effects of sad, right? Welcome to winter. <laughs> and here we are. We're supposed to be at our most joy-filled. And we're at our most stressed out. And, and we don't have as much serotonin, so we want to sit in the house and, and, and all of that. And, and we have to admit at times that what Satan's trying to do is take that away from you. And you have to admit I mean, I'm at war. Like, Satan, I'm not going to let you steal my peace from you in this season. I'm going to remember who you are and what you've done. Number two is you have to let God be the most glorious person in your life. The great quote here says, the key to knowing peace is keeping together what the angels kept together within this text. Glory to God and peace to men. If you look at verse 14, it's, in, it's intrinsically attached. The glory of God leads to peace. It goes on and says, a heart bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. We want to elevate Jesus in our hearts and our minds. Number three, you have to realize that his gift to you is justification. 
I know it's a big word, and I try my best to simplify it just as if you'd never sinned, just as if you'd done the right thing. There are so many great resources that I think are appropriate for this. Study that word. Look for podcasts on that word and understand how true it is for you. One pastor says, Justified means that God declares you to be just in his sight by imputing to you the righteousness of Jesus, and he does that by faith alone, since we have been justified by faith. And this is the kind of stuff that I like as a pastor. So listen carefully here because it's important for us to, I think, absorb this. We're justified by, by what? Faith. The quote goes on and says, not by works, not by tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by piety, not by parentage, but by faith alone. But I, I, I always kind of laugh a little bit when someone says, I'm part of the Roman Catholic Church. Congratulations. And we're part of what's called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Who cares? I don't say that in any way to disrespect the alliance. We're appreciative to be part of the alliance. I've just recently been asked to sit on the leadership board for it. I'm not not saying that this is a bad thing. What I'm saying is none of that matters. What matters is you're justified by Christ alone. So we can fellowship with members of other denominations. We can fellowship with people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. Because we all have one thing in common. We needed a Savior. And we all have one thing in common, hopefully, as people of faith. We believe that Jesus is the one who saves us from those things. And then lastly, trust him. All the promises are yes in Christ. Trust the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, 4, 4, 6. Ooh, that's not the correct verse. It's like a worst fear moment right there for me. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus says it this way in John 16, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Notice the tension? He's redefining peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We celebrate at Christmas the fact that Jesus, through faith, has become our peace. Which leads me just to a couple takeaways, and then we'll partake in communion together. You should pursue peace. First of all, you should continue to pursue absolute peace with God. The reality of this justification means that you can do what Adam and Eve did in the garden, that you can stand before the Lord completely transparent and admit that you're a sinner and finally allow God to do the surgery necessary to remove guilt, shame, and horrible habits from your life. You do not have to remain in current sins that you struggle in. Jesus can free you from those sins and he can replace them with something much better than the imperfect peace you're getting from whatever you're doing. Secondly, you should pursue impartial peace, a kind of partial peace with yourself. You should see yourself as Christ sees you. It won't always be perfect. You're going to look in the mirror every now and then and go, shucks. You might have did that this morning. And then you should pursue partial peace with others. 
Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. With that, let me read a quote to you. Here, you can read along. It says, for many of you, when you get together with family for Christmas, there will be some awkward and painful relationships. Some of the pain is very old and some of it is new. In some relationships, you know what you have to do, no matter how hard it is. And in some of them, are you baffled that you don't know what the path of peace calls for? In both cases, the key is trusting the promises of God with heartfelt awareness of how he forgave you through Christ. I think the text that puts this together most powerfully for me is Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, which reads, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Continually cultivate a sense of amazement that in spite of all your sins, God has forgiven you through Christ. Be amazed that you have peace with God. It's this sense of amazement that I, a sinner, have peace with God that makes the heart tender, kind, and forgiving. Extend this to others 70 times 7. Merry Christmas. The perfect gift given for mankind. Peace with God. As we close, I want to invite the worship team. You guys can come forward and those who are going to pass out communion. And uh, 